Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We hope this resource is a blessing to you. Let's jump in. Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. My name is David Bruner. I'm one of the pastors here. If you don't know me, it's fantastic to be with you today. I'm delighted to share God's word as always. Um, I also want you to know that I am a delight first thing in the morning. (laughs) So I'm not sure what other members of our family Becca is talking about, but I just want you to know, footnote, not Dave, okay? As many of you know, we're in a sermon series looking at parables of the kingdom. Jesus taught a lot about the kingdom of God through parables, and so we've been looking at those. And today we're wrapping up that series with two of Jesus' um, shortest and most familiar parables. Before I read those for you, let's pray together. Good and gracious God, our Father in heaven, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit among us as we hear your word today. Grant that we would understand it, Love it, take it to heart, and live out its message in our lives. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the living word. Amen. Our scripture for today comes from the 13th chapter of Matthew's gospel, beginning with verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. How many of you have heard a story about finding buried treasure? I love stories like that. Uh, When I was a little kid in grade school, my dad used to read me from Treasure Island, Robert Robert Louis Stevenson's classic book, filled my head with images of gold doubloons and pirates. When she was growing up, my wife Becca loved to watch the movie Goonies, another movie filled with stories of pirates and buried treasure. Now, I was not so hot on the movie Goonies when we initially got married. I've evolved, I've adopted a pro-Goonies stance after 16 years of marriage. Another story about buried treasure. And then, of course, there are the real-life stories, some of which are almost as amazing as those made-up ones. I read a story this week about a man in Massachusetts whose maid was cleaning his house and discovered an unused lottery ticket inside a vase. Now, I don't know how she found it there. I can only assume she was doing a really good job of cleaning his house. But she gave it back to him. He scratched it off, and he won a million dollars. I hope he gave her a really good tip. Ten years ago, 
a guy named Rue Ferguson brought a painting in to have it appraised. It had been in his family for decades. His great-grandparents bought it in Mexico about 100 years ago. And for many decades, the family had thought it was worthless. They just kept it around as kind of an amusement. They kept it in a closet for a while. Imagine his astonishment when it turned out that this painting was an authentic painting by Diego Rivera, which had been assumed lost for many decades. Diego Rivera is a very famous muralist in that part of the world. It was worth between $800,000 and $1 million, right? Now, I want you to know, if you go home and rummage through your attic, I cannot promise you you will find something worth a million dollars, but it does happen. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like that. Like these two men stumbling across something immensely valuable. Like that man finding a million dollar painting in his attic. Why does he say that? Because these parables are both about the joy of receiving God's kingdom. In particular, they're about the fact that God's kingdom comes to us freely, which invites joy. God's kingdom comes to us freely, which invites joy. Both the man who stumbles across the treasure and the man who buys the pearl have this in common. They are delighted to make their discovery. They're thrilled. They're astonished. They're stunned. They can't believe their good fortune. Not only do they discover something of immense value, they get it at way below market price. God's kingdom is like that. It comes to us for free, purely out of God's good and generous heart. I'm a fan of a musician called Father John Misty. Have any of you ever heard of Father John Misty? Score. No one at nine o'clock had either, so I'm happy to tell you about one of my uh, favorite musical artists. The thing you gotta know about this guy is that his real name is not John Misty. He's not an ordained pastor. He's not even a Christian. That kind of gives you an orientation to what his personality is like. He writes funny, ironic, cynical songs about life in 21st century America. For much of his career, in his um, interviews and in his songs, he talked about the fact that he didn't believe in marriage. He didn't even really believe in love. He thought marriage was this bourgeois, stifling thing. Marriage is an institution. Who wants to live in an institution? Blah, 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 blah. And then one day, he met a woman, and he fell in love, and they got married. One of my favorite songs by him is called, I Went to the Store One Day. And it's about the experience of meeting the woman who would become his wife. When he was, in fact, out at the grocery store, he was walking in, she was walking out, and she said, hey, I've seen you somewhere, and they started talking. It's a love song, but more than that, it's a song about joy. It's a song about gratitude. It's a song about the sheer dumb luck that led to him running into this woman at that store on that day of his life. You leave for the store three minutes later, you miss her. You buy three more things and take another minute at the register, you miss her. Like the two men in this parable, he cannot believe his good fortune. And he slows down when he gets to these climactic words for love to find us of all people 
I never thought it would be so simple. All because I went to the store one day. It's exquisitely beautiful and you can feel him, his heart overflowing with thankfulness and gratitude and love and wonder. Now it will probably drive Father John Misty crazy to hear me say this, but this is exactly the sort of thing that Jesus is talking about in his parable. The message of these parables is not that these men are lucky, it's that they're happy. (laughs) They both sell everything to gain what they have found and they do it with joy. They do it with delight. Most of the time, if you picture someone liquidating all of their worldly possessions, it's not a happy occasion, right? If you want to picture this parable, you have to picture two guys auctioning off everything they own and grinning from ear to ear while they do it. They're both astonished at their good fortune. They're joyful. Now, the message of this parable is you have found a treasure like that. The kingdom of God has come near to you. You have stumbled across the most precious treasure there is. Not silver or gold, not real estate or stock options, not a lifetime supply of Starbucks or a fresh pair of new Jordans. No, the kingdom of God. You found it. It's fallen into your lap. The kingdom of God, God's eternal plan and purpose for all creation, for every man, woman, and child that's ever lived or ever will live. You are part of it. You are a participant in it. You can celebrate it and delight in it. Maybe it's just me, but I often think to myself, man, I am just so happy to be a Christian. Do you ever think that? Lord knows it's not that I'm perfect at it, and I certainly don't think I'm better than people who aren't Christian, but something about our Christian faith, about the reality of God's kingdom is just so sweet and comforting and encouraging and empowering and wonderful that sometimes I, I, I am astonished that I get to play a part Sometimes I'll just be here at work or I'll look around this sanctuary and I'll just think, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Think about the community our faith offers us, the support of a family of faith. Think about the comfort and purpose it offers when things get rough. Think about the bulwark it offers us against injustice and evil. Think about the precious promise of eternal life. The fact that one day God's kingdom will come in all of its fullness and the Lord will reign forever and ever. Doesn't that sound like cool? (laughs) Doesn't it sound awesome? Doesn't that sound worth rejoicing about? I know as Presbyterians, we don't really do excitement, but I think in this case, it might be worth, you know, amping it up a little bit. And the best part of it is, what did we do to deserve it? What did I do to deserve it? Nothing. (laughs) Somebody dragged you here when you were a kid. Some friend or relative invited you on a Sunday. You went to great banquet and something happened to you. 
You went through a personal challenge. You got sober. You went through a divorce. You were diagnosed with cancer and you said to yourself, wait a minute, isn't there more to life? And the next thing you know, you are here. The Christian name for that is not luck. The Christian name for that is grace. Grace is God's gift to us and his kingdom is a perfect example. We don't earn a spot in God's kingdom. We're just given one, willy-nilly. You don't deserve a spot in God's kingdom any more than that schmo in the parable deserves to find that buried treasure. The kingdom comes to us freely. And so it invites us to rejoice in what we've been given. And that brings me to my second point. The kingdom is costly, so it requires commitment. Kingdom is costly, it requires commitment. Now I know I was just going on and on about how the kingdom comes to us freely, and that's true. You can't make yourself stumble over treasure buried in a field. You can't make yourself run into your future spouse at the grocery store, it just happens. And in the same way, you can't make yourself stumble over God's kingdom. And yet, and yet, these parables are not only about the joy that comes with the kingdom. They're about our response to the kingdom. When we stumble over buried treasure, what are we going to do? When we find out about the precious pearl, what are we going to do? Both men in these parables sell all they have to obtain the treasure they've discovered. And there's a profound truth there. God's kingdom is free, and it comes to us as a gift. And God's kingdom is costly, and it requires commitment from us. I admit there's a bit of a paradox there, something of a contradiction, but I think it's true all the same. Receiving God's kingdom requires a commitment from us. It will cost us something. Now, most of the time, that doesn't look like literally selling everything we own, like the people in the parable. I'm sure you're relieved to hear that. There may well be people in the body of Christ, however, who are called to do that. Christian history is full of people like Francis of Assisi or Dorothy Day or Shane Claiborne who had money but embraced a lifestyle of intentional poverty for the sake of Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful thing to do. But at the, at the rock bottom... Receiving God's kingdom means accepting that Christ and his reign come before everything else. Our career, our family, our hobbies, our comfort, everything. Grace is free, but our response to grace involves commitment and intentionality, and even sometimes sacrifice. In 12-step groups like AA, they will often ask newcomers a pointed question. They'll say, we know you want to get sober. We know you want to get free from the destructive effects of addiction. But the real question is, are you willing to do anything to get sober? Are you willing to do anything to get sober? And that's the right question. Because so often, sobriety involves radical changes in a person's life. Not everyone has to give up everything, but everything in that person's life in recovery must be re-evaluated to see if it is consistent with sobriety. 
And if your spouse or your career or your best friend is an obstacle to your sobriety, something's got to change. The same is true of God's kingdom. If we want to be part of God's kingdom, if we want to accept the gift he's given us, we're going to have to make some commitments. We're going to have to rearrange some things, maybe big, maybe small. Because here's the deal. You can't get the treasure without buying the land. You can't get the pearl of great price without selling your other stuff. We can't receive God's kingdom, accept God's kingdom without living a life consistent with that kingdom. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to God's kingdom, the value of what you receive infinitely exceeds the value of what you give up. Whatever the cost of the commitment we make to be part of God's kingdom is infinitely exceeded by the value of that kingdom. So often in my faith life, I balk at giving up another hundred bucks or giving up another hour of my free time. And often it's not like I'm doing anything precious or indispensable with that. You know, I'm sitting at home watching Netflix or whatever. How does it really stack up? Is it really all that valuable? And how does it compare to God's kingdom? Many years ago, Becca and I were ministering down in Bloomington, Illinois. And uh, both of us were working. We didn't have any kids. I had a few nickels to rub together. And I had my eye on a brand new Macintosh laptop. It was right when a new kind of them had come out. They were all shiny and new. And I went online and researched the type of computer I wanted. And all told, it was about 1600 bucks. So I was saving my nickels and dimes. I had them all ready to go. I was going to go buy this fancy new computer. And then I talked to a friend of ours who was in ministry. His ministry led him to work among the poor. He wasn't making a ton of money financially, and he was planning his wedding, which caused additional financial stress, as you can imagine. And he was grousing about the photographer they wanted. They couldn't find a photographer that wouldn't charge them an arm and a leg. He said, you know, we were talking to someone, and they really were amazing. They were the person we wanted, and you know how much they wanted for a day's work? You know how much they wanted for a day's work? $1,600. Now, I would love to say that in that moment, I said, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be generous. <laughs> no, no. I said, uh-oh. <laughs> and then began a few days of spiritual struggling on my part. And uh, here's the thing. The thing that I kept coming back to is, what does it matter? <laughs> What is $1,600 compared not only with the chance to do something nice for my friend, but compared with the value of God's kingdom? Compared with the chance to be generous and loving with someone the same way God has been generous and loving with me? Why wouldn't I want to take that? So I did it. I called my friend. I said, listen, I'm going to write you a check. I put it in the mail. He was very grateful. That was about 14 years ago. Not once in the intervening years, have I looked back on that and been like, you know what, that was the wrong decision. Not once. I don't even remember what kind of computer I had 10 years ago. But many, many times I have looked back on that decision and thought to myself, you know, thank you God for giving me that opportunity. 
to support my friend, to invest in the kingdom. I'm grateful for it. I have a friend named Molly, who I met way back in my college years. She's a wonderful Christian person, a child of Korean immigrants. And like a lot of immigrant kids, her parents had made great sacrifices to come to this country and to give her a better life than they'd had. They sent her off to college with a rock-solid expectation that she was going to succeed, she was going to graduate, and be successful in life. In fact, they told her what she was going to do. They said, listen, Molly, you're going to be a doctor. In fact, you're going to be a neurologist. That was kind of the, the bargain they struck, the emotional contract in her family. And so Molly went off. She studied hard. And after a few years in college, she started to hear God calling her to do something else, to work with the poor, the least, the last, and the lost, the, the homeless, and the hopeless. And she said, oh, no. <laughs> this was a big change for her. It wasn't just moving from, you know, neurology to cardiology. It was leaving medicine behind completely and, and pursuing another call where, frankly, the money is not nearly as good. It would mean altering the contract she had with her parents who made so many sacrifices for her. It was a tough, tough decision. And she wrestled with it for a long time. But God's call was persistent, as it always is. So finally she decided that she would pursue urban ministry and she told her parents. So you might imagine it did not go well. <laughs> it took some time for them to... Um, start speaking to her again. And it took even more time for them to begin to understand the decision she'd made. But I'm sure that choice cost her something worth way more than 1,600 bucks. But I'm also sure that she wouldn't do it differently. Her career in ministering to the poor has had amazing opportunities to see God's kingdom come. It's given her the certainty that she's right where God wants her to be. The Apostle Paul has a lot to say about this as well. I love it when Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for our slight momentary affliction is producing for us a weight of glory beyond all measure. In Romans, he writes something similar. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. Whatever the commitment to be part of God's kingdom may cost you, it ultimately pales in comparison to the kingdom itself. As the missionary Jim Elliott famously said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What do these parables mean? They mean that the kingdom is free and it invites our joy. And they mean that the kingdom is costly and requires our commitment. Let's celebrate the kingdom that comes to us by grace and commit to it with our hearts and lives. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on how to get connected, please visit our website at knoxprez.org. That is K-N-O-X-P-R-E-S dot org. 
You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or Spotify.